I, I post physique on Instagram and you know all these other places. I, I pretty much dox myself on Instagram, but it's like you do get comments and people be like, um, you know, they compliment you, but it's also like guys will compliment you as well. It's like, hey, you know, what do you train? You know, what do you do? Um, and like, you know, people will give you like positive feedback, and it, it is something to take pride in, I think, because you know it re- what it represents. It's not just a um, you know a narcissistic. Uh, vainglorious kind of thing it, you know it's 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 a, it's a it's a very hard kind of um it's very hard work it's a, it's a, almost a trophy you know all right what's going on everybody this is the other life podcast and i am justin murphy this week i'm speaking with grit cult grit cult is a mysterious but very interesting internet personality who i've been following for some time now i think he and i have been friendly on twitter for years now but I never really got to know him and I was never really sure what he's doing behind the scenes. But he's very fascinating because he's prolific on Twitter. He tweets about, you know, business and philosophy and all kinds of stuff. But he's built a pretty massive business operation behind all of that. And he's a pseudonymous character. You know, he's just a fake name and a avatar on, on Twitter. And yet he's been able to build a real business IRL doing mostly consulting. We learn more about it in the podcast. He explains the different things that he does, but it's fascinating. And he's very generous with sharing how he's built up those systems and the strategies and tactics that he's used to basically turn this mysterious philosophical, you know, social theorist Twitter persona into a real thriving business, even while remaining pseudonymous. So really interesting dude. It was a really freewheeling conversation. We also went into many unexpected pockets. Like we had a long digression on whether or not men should post physique to the internet, you know, like working out and posting your your body. <laughs> uh, it was a very interesting debate. And yeah, we talked about a bunch of other things. I think you'll find this a, a very fun and illuminating and, you know, maybe even inspiring podcast if you're interested in, you know, getting more aggressive and creative on the internet too create different types of opportunities for yourself. He's a really good case study in that. Really enjoy this one. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you're watching on YouTube, please please remember to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Many of you are not yet subscribed. So just a quick reminder, I'd appreciate it if you do that. And yeah, if you're listening on the podcast, on the audio feed, if you like this, I would really just appreciate if you leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts is what they call it now. That's one of the best ways you can help. All this content is free. So I hope you enjoy it. And those are the few little ways you could help us out if you want to. All right, folks, that's all for now. Let me get out of the way and we will get on to the show. All right. So we're here with Grit Cult. Grit, I've been following you for many years now. I think we've been uh, traveling and overlapping internet circles for quite some time. And I got to start with the question I've always been curious about. Where does the whole uh, Grit Cult phraseology come from? What's the background there? What does Grit Cult mean? What is the great called me? Um, I've been asked that quite a few times, and you know the the real answer, it, you know, pales to the answer that you know what people perceive in their ha- in their in their own minds and heads. Um, you know, it, it kind of started out. I I needed a username for Twitter, um, and you know I already had a kind of name on Twitter. You know that surrounded like grit, um, that grit. Um, that was my previous handle, and then I needed a new handle, and I used crypto grit for a while. Uh, because I was heavily into cryptocurrency at the time. And then um, cryptocurrency, there was a bear market. And I was like, you know what? It's cool. Cults. Um, and, you know, there you go. Um, and what the name means now, I suppose, it's like I- I'm-, I'm very fascinated by cults in general, um, especially, um, you know, social 
like um, tribes and collectives and all these other things. And, you know, a lot of what I've actually tweeted about over the years has actually just like, you know, been in some way focused on that. Uh, and I've got a few projects, you know, around cults now and uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, definitely. So weren't you also for a while, didn't you tweet a lot about um, David Gawkins or am I making that up? No, no, that, that is correct. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, like I, I go through phases of fascination. So um, at one point I was just heavily into David Goggins and um, you know, read his book and then I created, in, I suppose, a social group. I didn't really create it. It was, um, you know, it just kind of formed. Um, the group chat is still active and people still do like Goggins cult stuff. Um, and yeah, it was essentially just like doing very physical kind of challenges um, around Goggins, I'm I'm not into it as much as I was, um, but but that was a very very interesting, uh, funny kind of period, and, and a lot of them, a lot of the things that came out of there were just inside jokes that me and like only like three other people you know would laugh about. Right, right. I remember I remember that phase uh, of your of your writing and your fascinations, and uh, I remember thinking, yeah, I've I've been following you for a while. I've always thought you're an interesting dude, uh, and you, and you write a lot of interesting ideas on Twitter. But I've been you know, curious for a while to look under the hood and, and, and get to know you better and understand all the different things you're actually working on. So I'm excited to unpack some of that. So I know that you're an anon, so I don't want to, um, you know, not trying to dox you or pry or anything, but, uh, what can you tell us about yourself? What, what do you feel comfortable sharing? You know, any, any kind of basic data demographic stuff, like just give us a, whatever kind of portrait you can of who you are. Cool. Um, I, I would say I'm, I'm not anon in the, in the, in the most, um, like, definitive term like you know a dictionary term um you know there's layers right so um you know you you've seen me other people know my real name people like meet me all the time in real life through twitter and it's it's, it's like i think identity i'm trying to keep as much as i can private and to myself as i can um but obviously there are like certain trade-offs you know um you know meeting interesting people you do have to reveal yourself and they reciprocate so uh, what i can tell you about myself is um you know i've I went to an evening school. I studied economics. Um, you know, I, I used to make films, used to make fashion, you know, pieces. I've worked in those industries. Um, I want to get back into those industries, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I studied economics. I'm, you know, I'm very fascinated by that kind of thought of, you know, social organization um, and, you know, how ideas spread as well as money. Um, so that's that. And then I've also spent a vast majority of my career and adult life in um, project management. Um, you know, so corporate management, uh, middle management as well. Um, and, you know, essentially how, you know, essentially organizing groups. So, um, and, I, and I think maybe you can call them a cult, but, you know, th th there's quite a lot of, you know, seemingly overlaps. Right. Okay. So I see you as someone who is an interesting example of this new type of person who can basically go on the internet, go on a place like Twitter, be really creative and, and prolific with just tweeting ideas all the time. And you can still be, you know, kind of strange. You can still be mysterious. You can even be uh, pseudonymous and have, uh, you know, this this kind of interesting, mysterious personal brand like the one that you have. And yet you can still translate that into business opportunities. And uh, I think you've done a very good job of that. But people might not have a good sense of of the operation that you're running. So um, help us help us see a little bit more under the hood like what is the business back end that your Twitter is kind of like a funnel for and, 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 and help us understand how the Twitter game translates into your consulting funnel. Cause it's basically a consulting business is primarily what you do, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's two um, main ways to do this. There's the, you know, there's no more mainstream kind of way 
Uh, obviously, it's not that mainstream because not everyone does it, but um, there is a huge amount of people um, on Twitter that you know use it primarily as a funnel um, to channel and grow um, their businesses. Um, what they do is basically, you know, they'll tweet value and they have a formulaic kind of view of things, um, and they'll, you know, they'll have like, you know, guides on how to do this and all this other stuff. Um, that's all well, you know. I know guys that make a lot of money through that, um, and you know, that is one avenue of doing it. What I kind of do and what it's a funnel for. Um, what I kind of do is I, I focus on making high um, high quality co- um, connections um, and networking. Essentially, like I I, I really. Like the biggest value that Twitter brings for me is the network. Um, you know, someone like asked me yesterday, you know, how much would you sell your Twitter for? And I'd sell it, you know, for like at least seven figures, eight figures, mainly because of that Rolodex I've built on top of Twitter. So it's like I have access to, so at one point someone reached out to me uh, for um, essentially helping raise money for the Andrew Yang mayoral campaign. And that was just through my network and connections. And I was just on Twitter DMing people about, hey, I know Andrew Yang, do you want to meet him? You know, blah, blah, blah. So Again, it goes back to like using it as a as a network um, as a, a networking tool rather than a funnel. So I do have my own kind of businesses, and what my businesses are. So I have one major operation in uh, project management. We've recently signed a huge client, um, and I've been doing that for a number of years. And you know, I'm thinking about making some educational um, products, and because I have to do some training or some staff. Um, so. Yeah, th- that that's that. So there's project management, and then there's also this other side where I'm doing a lot of crypto consulting. Uh, and what I mean by that is working with cryptocurrencies. You know, um, seeing if they need uh, any specific help. Um, at the moment, I'm hiring or trying to get people hired um, for a lot of crypto positions. So people come to be like, "Hey, um, I need a solidity dev. Do you know anyone?" I'm like, "Yeah, I know about three or four people. Boom, here you go. Here's the CVs." Um, I just act as an intermediary. Usually, um, you know, I don't really charge. I just I just want to see things happen. Um, the, the other also uh, interesting thing in how I personally use it is I'll, I'll network with someone, um, I'll try to get them on a call or, you know, just see what's going on with their lives. Um, and then if there's like certain overlap or I have an idea, I'll be like, hey, uh, what about this idea? What about this project? Um, and a lot of times that does spawn into other things. Um, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, either way, I, I still find that networking aspect and learning about people very, very um, up there. Okay, that's fascinating. And can you say more? tactically about how how are you building these relationships on twitter like what are your the tactics are you i know for instance i'm in a dm group with you i don't know if maybe one day you put me in that but do you do you like make dm groups of relevant people who should know each other and then you you kind of facilitate that or what kinds of things do you do specifically yeah so that that is one tactic i've been using um so if i want to learn about a certain subject uh, i'll make a group chat about it with like you know people that are domain experts so so for instance i want to learn about podcasting i put you in there i put um hermetics in there um you know certain other people that have you know pretty successful podcasts and then you know my learning curve is just you know reduced i just post questions in there all the time um or you know i put i post gm a lot you know good morning um in all the group chats so yeah i, I that's that's one tactic where um, you know, you're acting as a facilitator because you're providing benefit, not for yourself, but also all the other participants. You know, you are asking questions in there. I remember, uh, you know, other people are asking questions and answering, you know, what's the best software? What tools should I use for this? So I, I try to find those kind of situations or try to foster those situations. Um, like people always ask me, you know, what's the quickest way to grow on Twitter? If you want to grow on Twitter, put out like tw- um, threads. So if I, if I want to like specifically, you know, pivot to a certain demographic or appeal to a demographic, I will make threads or I'll, you know, research things and share what I'm researching or what I'm doing 
about this content um about the specific you know areas so right now i'm tweeting a lot about you know twitter because i'm working in twitter and i want to work in twitter i want to continue working in twitter I, I mean crypto sorry not twitter i'm already on twitter but um yeah I, I'm, I'm tweeting a lot about crypto right so i, I want to keep you know doing that and keep you know facilitating these conversations and following people and integrate like just dming them like, hey i um, appreciate the follow back um at the moment i'm in this uh crypto networking group or like um it's a sort of incubator um for like interesting things it's called kernel um and it's sponsored by gitcoin and you know it's essentially the same kind of thing it's like you know you're um you get you apply you get interviewed and then essentially you're part of this network and where you can have easily foster relationships but like if you've got twitter you can do that so um another thing is just like there's a way of like familiarizing yourself with people so um i i I don't think that me and you were like you know instantly connected you know we like what i did was you know we followed each other um and then you know i'd interact with you i'd you know reply comments retweet uh quote tweet um and and then you know that'd get your attention and you know i'm in your brain essentially and then from there you know we can go into dms um, and then from the DMs, you'd be like, hey, um, I'm, re- I'm really interested in X, so and so. And then, you know, if, if you're in another formulaic process, you, know, you get them on a call, you learn more, to, more about their problems. And then if there's an avenue or if there's something that you could come back to, you just make a mental note in your um, CRM. So um, I've created a CRM via Airtable. So like every meeting I have, it goes into a CRM. So if I'm like, hey, um, I need someone that's related to Andrew Yang or in crypto, um, I'll just Google, or not Google, I'll just go on my Airtable and search them up you know so and then schedule another meeting and it can be um you know th- that that's definitely smooths things along okay interesting so you start you you write a ton of content that's valuable on twitter and then i guess the next step is some people will dm you based on something they learn from your twitter thread or whatever and i guess that's how they get into your you know uh they, they get onto your radar and then you'll you know either put them in a group with other people to help them out, or you'll invite them to jump on a call with you. And then you'll have a meeting, you'll write about them in your CRM. And uh, you'll just basically be kind of keeping this Rolodex of uh, who's in your orbit. And and then I guess eventually over time, those some of those contacts will turn into sales, like people will need something from you, and they'll pay you for it. And that's like the basic business model of how you use Twitter to to, to grow your businesses yeah essentially um or you know i'll help facilitate them for something or if i'm if, if someone needs something um you know and they don't really know who to go to they'll either ask me and it'll be like and i'll say like yeah i know a few people i'll put them in contact and, and that's usually it sometimes it's very fruitful um there have been quite a few instances where people are referring me to stuff or i'll, I'll put out a thread and be like hey um you know i, I really liked you know what you tweeted especially in project management, that's happened more often. It's like, hey, I, I like what you tweet about project management. Um, you know, I want you to like, base, you know, help basically um, streamline my developers, streamline uh, my software development agency, you know, which is struggling. Um, you know, th- th- things of that nature. Um, Interesting. Cool. And even in more detail, I'm curious, like, how do you like to structure those deals? Is it, do you charge like by the hour to just give advice, uh, like consulting, or do you, are I, you like a... How do you do it? I, yeah, I, I I like to give advice for free, but I also like especially advice I haven't given before. If I've given something, if I've given advice before, and I, I notice it's become a pattern, I'll usually end up writing about it, and I'll just direct the person to um, either an essay I've written like a couple of years ago, or like some Gumroad product that's for free. About hey, you know, read this. Um, that's that's usually what I, um, you know, that's how I usually operate. I I don't really like to charge 
upfront for like you know um you know just making a kind of connection uh, I'm, I'm always willing to make that kind of connection first um but when it comes to actual work how i kind of structure it right now um um it's it's, it's very much like a retainer kind of basis so um, we're working together i'm consulting and um the way i kind of consult is i usually have a team so i've got about a team to of about six, seven people um, that work with me or alongside me. And, you know, we, we delegate work um, amongst the team. Um, so that's why I can take on multiple clients, take on multiple projects, you know, do a lot of other interesting side projects of my own, mainly because I have this like, you know, huge capacity of work, um, you know, through a huge team. So that that's one kind of aspect. And what I'm moving towards is like packaged um, deals for more in-depth kind of things. So in project management, you you kind of like have an entire project. Um, and what I'm what I'm, I'm pivoting towards now, and you know we've recently signed a huge deal for, is essentially coming into like you know reorganization, reorganize an entire organization. Um, you know that's about seven eight figures um, in in revenue every year, and you know they, they're paying a he- that's a hefty sum. And what we're gonna need is so like I'm currently hiring a business analyst. I'm gonna end up hiring a project manager. And what we're gonna do, you know, much like uh, the larger consulting firms, is essentially come in and you know basically try to get as much accurate information about the organization as we can, and you know then try to interpret that and then realign that into a more efficient business. Um, and I've got a really interesting thread. Um, about you know what I've kind of learned through working with directly with um, you know executives senior or C level C level execs, um, the biggest problem like in all in organizations I've seen is communication. So you know how do ideas transmit? You know is this information accurate? Are our assumptions correct? Um, all of these kind of things are so so crucial. Fascinating. So you said you have a core team of about six people, and are those? I guess contractors, those are kind of subcontractors or so not most, full-time employees, I imagine. No, so most of them are full-time employees. I've got a few contractors. Oh, really? Uh yeah. So I've got a few contractors that I'll like if I need a help on or if I need their, you know, special help, um, I'll I'll call on them. Um I, I've got a few other business interests where I I kind of split partnerships. Um so you know mean to mean of like so i've got two three businesses and like one or two of them will end up being you know 50 50 partnerships or you know if there's three people you know we'll split it as evenly as we can and of these employees and contractors how many of those are are, are those coming from twitter also is that like where you're finding people and i, I would say higher? like I, I get a lot of deal flow or just general people hit me up so i put out a tweet earlier today saying I've got a list of every single non-technical job in crypto because I, I create like a in um, using Integromat. I've used a lot of a- a- automations uh, to essentially just scrape all these different sites and you know just scrape their RSS feed. So I, I had about five six people you know hit me up say hey I'm interested in this. So like I could take those five six people and be like hey um, I could train you in crypto. Um, you know I can I can get you a job. And I mean, that could be a verifiable business model. I'm just not really interested in going that route. But, you know, that, that's one kind of aspect, um, you know, of, of I, I would say, I would say, um, yeah, I, I get a lot of DMs regarding like, you know, work and stuff. Um, even like very talented people, you know, would message me and, you know, they express working with me. Um, yeah, I, I'd say it's quite a lot, but like my actual team is probably, you know, 60%, 70% outside of Twitter. Okay, but is it remote, or are you are you working in the same area together? Remote, one hundred percent remote. Okay, so how did you source the other the rest of your team? So yeah, just put, just posting out jobs, um, referrals, 
Um, like job boards off Twitter? Yeah, job so boards job boards okay. off Twitter or people I've worked with previously um, yeah, through consulting or whatever. Gotcha. Okay, but I guess I am I am right though in my sense that Twitter is kind of like the center of gravity of everything you're building in a way, right? It's, it like is your social public kind of like space in a way, right? Yeah, um, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter every day. Um, you know, maybe that's unhealthy to some people, but it is it is a huge part of my business. So like when I'm consult when I'm working with some clients through, that I know through Twitter, um, and you know, there's quite a few. Like I'll, I'll just DM them. I'll give them an update through to Twitter. Um, you know, like I won't really use any other messaging service like Slack or Discord. You know, I prefer Twitter because I can just get through all the DMs and you know one sitting. So, um, yeah, right. definitely. And and also, you weren't always into crypto. You made the decision not too long ago to just pivot into crypto and focus on crypto, uh, which I think is a very wise decision. Uh, I'm curious though that it seems like that must that transition must be almost completely through Twitter, I imagine, right? Yeah, 100%, I would say so. So essentially, I was quite heavily, you know, tweeting about Twitter, I mean, tweeting about crypto back in 2017, 2018, um, you know, right around the last, you know, huge bull market where, you know, Twitter hit 20K. Um, I, I was very into it. I did a lot of networking. I met a lot of interesting people that I'm still in contact with today, um, you know, from that sphere. Um, and then what kind of happened is, you know, I was kind of, um, you know, pivoting in my life, finishing university, moving um, places, you know, a lot of things were happening at once. And then crypto, at, at that time, it, there was no job board for crypto in my opinion, like, as far as I remember. Um, and, you know, there, there, it wasn't as mature as it is now. And then what essentially happened this year, um, you know, a lot of my friends that were in Twitter and, you know, I mean, were in crypto, you know, they essentially, like, this year and last year, especially last year, you know, they, they made a lot of money and they, and they and they were kind of telling me like, hey, you know, the, the market's completely matured. You know, it's, there's a huge kind of infrastructure that's being built. You know, there's a huge amount of money going into it, and I think in terms of VC money, um, you know, vast majority of VC money has you know pivoted from pin, uh, fintech to now uh, crypto. So, um, you know, in, in those kind of angles, I was like, oh shit, you know, you know, crypto is like completely changed. And, you know, one thing that also like, you know, broke my mind was the, the whole DeFi space. So you can, you can lend and borrow, you know, decentralized. And then back in 2018, there was no such thing as, there's no word for DeFi and there's no, there's no such thing as a DEX, uh, you know, a decentralized exchange. So, you know, th those two main things, I was like, oh shit, you know, you have these huge kind of innovations, which basically are going to, you know, set a, a new kind of standard in the world. Right. Fascinating. So you made this strategic decision to, um, you know, orient yourself accordingly. And I just think you're a really interesting example of someone who is really using Twitter to the maximum. And uh, you, your case study kind of shows that really anything that you're sufficiently interested in, if you have the chops to actually talk about it intelligently and 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 put in the work of of tweeting about it all the time, that you can pretty much just build a business around almost anything whether or not you have some kind of long-standing foothold in that or not as long as you're showing up with the content and you're attracting people to you you can just pivot your whole business into something that you're more yeah. interested in if you want to yeah there's, there's there's quite a few strands we can go down so you know one thing is people saying people are saying that twitter is what linkedin should have been in terms of you know fostering those kind of connections um, back when I was on, you know, when I first kind of started getting into Twitter a bit more heavily, um, you know, was back in 2018 and the, the entire ecology around Twitter was very underdeveloped in the sense that, you know, it, it was very new, 
Um, you know, people weren't making as much money from it. it. It wasn't kind of a lifestyle that it is now. And then, you know, people such as yourself kind of innovated and, you know, built a sort of, I, I wouldn't say a lifestyle business, but, you know, they, they're able to monetize their presence on the internet. Um, and, you know, like Patreon back then, you know, it, it wasn't a huge thing. It was just starting. Um, and now you have like paid newsletters. Now you can get paid directly through Twitter. So there is a huge infrastructure being built. Um, which I think eventually is going to, you know, just integrate crypto on a, in a vast scale. But yeah, like back back then, it it, it was um, there was hardly anything there. But like now, you know, there's way, 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 way more opportunity. And you know, if anyone's listening, um, you, do, you know, you could definitely make a living just through tweeting. And and I know like several people just you know that do that. Yeah. What's your take on the digital products approach? Uh, you mentioned this earlier, so I, I guess you've thought about it. But some people, I'm sure you're aware of. There's a certain type of person out there that will do fairly simple digital products on like Gumroad or something like that. It'll be like a little ebook or a little video, like a one hour video or something. That's a, they call it a course or whatever. Um, and they'll sell these like little things for like 50 bucks or something like that. And then they'll just be tweeting all day about this, about kind of stuff related to it. And that seems to work. Like people, there are people, there are some people who make a lot of money doing that basic kind of system. Uh, what's your what's your take on that uh, that that area or that approach? Um, it's 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 not my cup of tea, uh, mainly because it's you know boring as fuck for me. You know, just to tweet about my fucking course all day. So I, I, probably, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but um, you know, it's 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 it, 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 it works. I know people that do it. Um, you know, they're pretty cool people, but it'll just you know make that kind of content, and they're cool with that. You know, if that suits you, if that's your style, that's what you want to do. You know, go for it. But um, for me personally, that's not really like my style you know i've i've released some like free a lot of free content and people have chosen to pay for it um you know through gumroad so you know that's that's a very interesting you know kind of like mind shift i i definitely think you can do it but my kind of take on it is like you you're gonna basically like um churn a lot so so what i mean by that is like people will follow you for like content um and essentially they're not gonna be they're gonna buy your stuff and then they're gonna go and then you're gonna have to keep you have to keep acquiring customers um right know, oh and- shit i googled it and i just realized you totally have a gum road you you know exactly what i'm talking about you've i guess so i guess you've tried this uh approach and it looks like you've had some success but you just are not focusing on it because you don't like it um no it's no i mean all those products there are, are free so like you could download a guide on how to sleep or like meetings or um a, a lot of this like respawn content so i, I would make a thread on I'd make a thread on Twitter. If it does well, I'd, I'd, I'd probably just put it into an essay, you know, make it a bit more prettier and essentially just like, you know, give it out for free. Like, here's a guide. You don't have to read a thread. Um, oh, okay. Um, that's it. Is this, is it, is this like an important part of your system? Do a lot of people come through the gum road or not really? Um, it, it can be. I, I know like if you grow it, it can be very, very lucrative. Um, I, I'm not really interested in it. I, I, what I want to do is I have more of a kind of cohesive strategy. I, I'm, I'm kind of more also interested in, you know, f- finding a good business model that I can con- consistently work on, um, and you know, build build a system out of. Um, I, I like I don't want to dismay it because it's de- like I know for a fact it works. Um, you know, like courses, you know, definitely work. Um, I, I would if I was going to, if like so I am definitely interested in making a course. Um, I, I'm just not kind of sure how to do it. I think Jack Butcher, if you're not familiar with him, you know, he has probably one of the best kind of courses in terms of how he structured it um, and like how he put a spin on it. Like you, you don't want to make a shitty PDF for like a hundred bucks 
um, that's just like, you know, copied and pasted content, you, you really want to make it unique to you. And you're putting time yeah. and effort uh, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Another person who's done it really well is uh, Daniel Vasallo. You know that guy? You follow him? Daniel? Um, not off my head, no. You, yeah, you should check him out. He did like this one hour. It's just really simple. It's just a one hour little video course on how to use Twitter, basically, how, effectively, how, how to grow fast and, you know, how to, how to leverage it. And uh, it's super simple. I think he asked for like 40 bucks for it or something. And I, I think he made like more than $200,000 in a year just with that. Um, but he's got a very integrated. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm not he's he seems like a fine guy. And I think it's a genuine, it's, you know, it's a genuine little product. He's not um, so I have no problem with him or anything. I'm not necessarily recommending it to the audience. It's it's like I, I actually did um, watch it just out of curiosity when I was doing all this research on how people are doing courses and stuff like that. And it was really interesting how short and simple it was. It was like just basic ideas, basic facts, basic kind of guidance. And but I understand why people want that. And I understand why that would be worth $40 to, to a lot of people. And um, I just think he's a good example. He's a, he's a good case study of like how to do that uh, pretty well like because he just tweets a lot of stuff about like how to how to do twitter well and then he has a nice little you know 40 dollars course associated with it and it's just it does seem to work really well you can make a lot of money doing that um if you have it properly structured and aligned yeah, yeah. no definitely i am um, you know i i i definitely want to look into making courses i think the whole education system is turning on its head um you know so and i feel as though like i, I do have things i can talk about um that no one else can so you know, like, but but the thing is, it's yeah. like, I could have write like five years ago, I could have rushed to make a course, but like, I, w I wouldn't have felt ready. But now, I, I, you know, I've got way more experience, you know, I'm very more confident in, you know, what I do. And I'm, I'm sure that I can deliver results in certain things. Right? Yeah. Uh, all right. Awesome. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of your ideas. So I'm curious, other than other than uh, Goggins, uh, who, who else has been a big influence for you? Like, what's your kind of personal pantheon of of thinkers or uh influences i'm just curious mm, um th that's a pretty interesting question um so in in terms of modern philosophy modern philosophers i'd probably say daniel dennett um one of his kind of philosophies is on how, on how the mind works um you know he's written extensively on um you know perception um you know creating ideas and you know this kind of led me to um essentially mimetics uh, and ab and abstraction by Kopczynski, I think his name is, if I'm pronouncing it correct. Um, and essentially, um, you know, th th those two ideas combined are, I think, personally very powerful in the sense that, uh, you know, ideas can travel, to can transmute, you know, words are an abstraction of an idea. And, you know, in your mind, you know, the ideas will be abstracted once again. Um, you know, th those are probably like my most kind of like out there ideas. Uh, in in terms of like other kinds of philosophy, um, like I, I like to, um, I think Spinoza's up there as well, even though I haven't read him that much. And then a lot of postmodernism in the sense of like just how thought is um, transmuted throughout society and how it kind of shapes and all these different influences um, that shape our lives in you know various other structures. Um, you know, like it's a, it's a mishmash, like it is for anyone. I think you know it's very hard to pinpoint. Right. Uh, yeah, I know you're also interested in Darwin and kind of applying Dar Darwinian thought to, you know, ideas and how ideas travel, which is essentially memetics. Yeah. By the way, is this why you is this why you like to often tweet in all caps? Do you think that this has like a particular psychological effect? 
Um, yeah, so I kind of started that experiment back in February, I think, where I, you know, I kind of came back on Twitter. I was off Twitter, I think, most of 2020. Um, and when I, when I kind of came back, I just had to, you know, come back with a bang, I suppose, and, you know, set a, you know, psychological image. And yeah, definitely. And I, I think it catches attention. People talk about it. And, you know, it's, again, it creates an association with you and your brand. So like, yeah, it was, it was a conscious effort of branding. So I was branding myself in a way of my content. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't say it's related to Darwin, but I, I'll definitely say it's related to like, um, you know, the kind of style and brand I wanted to put out there and, you know, the kind of stuff I was, I, I was tweeting, um, you know, it's not really easy to categorize in that respect either. Right. Totally. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's talk a little bit more about some of your specific ideas that I've, I've been interested in following recently. So. I know one of your most widely shared Twitter threads is about pretty much lessons learned working with powerful people. So what are what are some of the key things people need to know when they're working with CEOs or just in general, you know, kind of powerful people? So, yeah, um, and I touched, I touched on this earlier. You know, one of the most important things is being able to communicate. So um, you you have to like everything that you do in a sense is, is a form of communication. So how you present yourself, how you speak, how you carry yourself, all, all these kind of things, you know, you know, it's a lot to think about initially, but you know, like, like um, Patrick Bateman, you, you do have to take care of, you know, pretty much all, all these different aspects and especially at the higher levels, because, you know, there, there are like certain things like, you know, there's, there's like a lot of double speak and there's a lot of politics right at the top um, echelon of, um, you know, corporate, you know, of the corporate ladder, mainly because, you know, it's so competitive and the people that get to those kind of positions, you know, as Peterson talks about, you know, tend to be, you know, very driven. They're very like single-minded and, you know, they don't really care if they don't do anything else in life as long as they just continue working. So with, with these kind of people, it's like they're constantly judging you and they're constantly like sizing you up. So like, you know, they'll be able to tell, you know, how how old you are, how young you are, by the way you kind of carry yourself or introduce yourself, you know, in these kind of environments. So um, some of the key takeaways are, you know, make sure you're beautiful. You know, I, I tweeted that and, you know, that did pretty well. And yeah, but that, that's exactly true. So, you know, if, if you've got smelly breath and you're in a meeting, people are like, they may even comment on it, you know, and they may actually put you down in the meeting um, as a sort of like, you know, to try to peg you in your place. So yeah, there's all these kind of aspects. And then, um, you know, being able to navigate, you know, political waters is another huge kind of aspect um, that a lot of people don't actually, um, you know, consider. And uh, VJR or Venkatesh Rao, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he 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 was a consultant at one point, I think, as well. And, you know, he, he came up with the Gervais principle, whereby, um, you know, the people that make it up make it up the corporate ladder and not exactly the most proficient in this specific technical task because as you get up it becomes more abstract uh, in the sense it becomes more abstract in terms of the information you're dealing with and the tasks that you're doing so i remember um back in one of my last roles was um, a person was specifically hired as a power play just to like you know put others in check so he was basically hired as a try to be like to try to create a reporting line directly, you know, to his boss, but like he didn't, it didn't work out and he was fired after five months, um, you know, and, and these guys will get making a lot of money. So, you know, at, at those levels, it, it, it's, it's more about, you know, politics. And one interesting example uh, people bring up is, you know, Boris Johnson. He, he may seem, um, you know, very ditzy and, you know, not in control of things, but behind, 
the veil, let's say, behind you know the TV, you know, in politics, he, he's very good at making, um, you know, like making um, alliances with other politi- of, of politicians, um, you know, um, and, and that's a very kind of interesting Machiavellian kind of like, you know, case study. Right. Interesting. Is there not a kind of counterintuitive play, though, where because you said you should look beautiful and be clean and and this kind of thing. Uh, isn't there a kind of alternative play, though, where people are kind of purposely disheveled in a way that signals their confidence in a way, right? Like there's this meme about, you know, the uh, like Mark Zuckerberg, you know, p- pitching his his first fundraisers, you know, in a in a in a hoodie and kind of disheveled, right? There's, there's a certain kind of image that has kind of taken on a life of its own, where it's almost like if you rock up to the meeting with powerful people, a little dirty and disheveled, it's kind of like, oh, wow, you might be a kind of outsider genius and it actually makes powerful people kind of respect that or be more interested in that. Is there anything to that you think or no? There is. Um, and there's two aspects of it. Um, one is a counter argument that, um, you know, it stems from Darwinism. So um, as we're like very biological creatures, um, you know, we're, like most of our evolutionary history has stemmed from the fact that, you know, we need to reproduce and we have this need and like there's certain like biases just inherently built in, um, you know, humans are not very rational. And that's, again, this is, this is one of my like so-called big influences is that, you know, humans are not rational and we're essentially hell-baked. Hell-baked is an essay by Nick Land. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, where it basically, you know, states that like, you know, Darwinism has shaped humans through the forges of hell. And, you know, like a lot of our kind of evolutionary history, you know, is, you know, like, you know, it's, 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 it's very brutal, right? So like on a deep fundamental level, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg at the end of the day is going to find his wife sexually attractive, hopefully. Um, I'm, I'm not really privy to his personal life, but yeah, there's that. And then with the counter signal, um, especially with what Mark Zuckerberg dig, did, sorry, is like there's this trope of like VCs wearing, you know, gilets and, you know, drinking all the same, you know, kind of stuff. So th- there's two aspects of that. So one is, you know, they're fitting in. So like if if you're, you're more likely to, um, you know, make relationships with people that are very similar to you, um, that's just the nature of fact, um, you know, and the other counter signal is, you know, if, if you're investing in something and it's a really good idea, you, you're going to look for these outsiders that, you know, may provide, you know, some sort of insight from the, insight from the outside so i i definitely think that the mark zuckerberg thing is good and i think um you know peter thiel he often he he has an essay called on founder theory and it's based on gerard's mimesis is basically you need to look for insiders outsiders um so people that are essentially very extremely adaptable and you know they still have their own kind of um like minds and you know how do you kind of do things and you know these these people are very able to like they're in like one sort of niche, but they can easily cross transfer to another sort of niche. Um, and, you know, and I would make some caveats to that. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is, he's very typically, like typically as what you would perceive as a developer, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't make, um, well, I mean, he was, he, he didn't really care about his appearance. He's wearing hoodies. He's just code all night. But the thing is, there's like hundreds of those kind of guys that fit into the archetype. But now if, if you look at him, he, he's, he's more political um, you know, he, he's gone to a speech therapist, uh, you know, like you can, but the way he's speaking is very different. Um, so there's those aspects. And then the other kind of aspect is like, you know, he's wearing suits now. 
you know, there's videos of him wearing suits. And then, you know, obviously he's wearing, he's like, there was a recent um, video where, um, where he's got like a, I don't know, he was like surfing or something. I don't know what, what the hell, what the hell that, that was, but, you know, he's holding an American flag across the sunset. So again, like th that was a pretty aesthetic picture, right? So, you know, it, it goes back to like, you know, the, the mean returns to, you know, beauty, I suppose. Fascinating. I love it. You've thought about this deeply. So what about the young person who's listening to this and they're like, oh, this is so cool. I want to be like grit called. I'm going to start tweeting all about <laughs> the, the I'm going to I'm going to start tweeting like crazy about the industry I'm interested in. It's going to be in all caps. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but they're, but they're thinking to themselves, they want to they want to level up and they want to, you know, have more ambitious, um, you know, goals and they want to network with more powerful people. And but they're just like a normal bloke, right? And they don't necessarily know how to carry themselves. They don't know how to, you know, work on their speech. Like you mentioned speech therapists in particular. Like, can you think of very specific things that your normal average like 20-year-old guy would do wrong with how they carry themselves, how they speak, um, their diction, the words they use? Um, what, what kind of specific things for someone who's maybe interested in following your footsteps and pursuing your kind of Twitter based strategy to, to, to grow power and, and business, um, you know, value, like what, what are some specific things that people generally do wrong and that they should do differently? So one of the, probably the biggest thing that people do wrong straight off the bat is, um, to try to extract value rather than give value. So if, if you think about a rich person's point of view, um, they'll get solicited a lot. They'll get solicited a lot, right? So they, they're going to get they're going to get thrown with a lot of offers. Um, people are going to want their attention a lot, but their t their attention and time is is very valuable. So you have to essentially provide more value, um, you know, than what they would be doing alternatively. So you know, if, if you're an interesting person, they're more likely to meet you. Um, that's first and foremost. Um, in terms of just like general behavior, um, again, it would be you know it it goes back to you know like your tribes right so like people are more likely to associate with people that are very similar to them um there's there's a lot of people that are very flashy they'll flash a lot of things but that all that tells me is that they are new to money so you know there's a guy showing off his rolex and you know being in a strip club and that just shows me that okay that's probably his first time at strip club so he decided to take pictures because it's probably a fun fond moment for him right so whereas you know a guy that's very familiar in those kind of environments he would act as he's you know that's a natural environment um, and so I, 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 one other thing I'd say is, you know, like always like, don't be naive in the sense of like being taken aback by someone successful. There's, you know, there's, you know, if you throw um, a penny down the road, there, you know, there's a, like it might hit like a hundred millionaires or something. They're very common people. Um, but obviously the way they think, you know, it's slightly different. Um, and the reason why I say that is because I actually know people that have been, taken advantage of by, you know, so-called successful people or rich people. So, you know, like, you know, do have your wits about you and, you know, obviously don't sacrifice yourself because just because someone is successful. Um, that, that, you know, and that's the way I kind of carry myself, you know, like I've said no to a lot of people and, um, you know, you, you always have to have that kind of self-respect. And going back, you know, touching on self-respect is you know, the way you kind of carry yourself. People will be able to tell you, will, people will be able to tell if if you're um, a, a bit wet behind the ears, or if you're if you're very new to the scene, just in terms of like spending habits, the way you kind of carry yourself, if if you're you know if you're not taking care of your you know how you present yourself, or you know even if your skin is like you know dry and crusty, and um, you know if you look run down, um, and this is an interesting point one of my business partners mentioned, 
um, you know, he said like you, you can tell how rich people are by like the nature of their skin tone, um, and not not skin tone in terms of color, but like how how vibrant and healthy it looks because they have the time to like moisturize it or, or you know take vitamins and stuff. So um, you know these very small aspects come into play. Obviously, people are not going to be as upfront as that, and you know people are going to be like, hey, you know, I'm I accept everyone, I love everyone, blah blah blah. But you know, real reality is very different. Okay, fascinating, fascinating. So I guess if you're doing something similar to your game and you're, you know, meeting a lot of people on Twitter and then having some private Zoom calls with them, I guess you want to invest a lot into, you know, what you're wearing, uh, how you clean your face, uh, just being healthy and and having a relatively low stress life so you can kind of show up on the Zoom call, like looking good, feeling good and just like projecting health and 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 confidence i guess um to to, to a large degree um I, I wouldn't say that's like the key to my success but you know it definitely helps um in in the sense of yeah like you you, you don't want to look bad i mean not to be like totally narcissistic or vain you know but like these these, these, these like people actually definitely talk about these kind of things you know and there's a whole trend on twitter you know about posting physique and stuff so you know, it is something that should, it is it signals something. There is a signal. Um, you know, it communicates something. It's information. Right. Yeah. No. For sure. Do you, Do you think that men? I have I have very mixed feelings about men posting physique. It feels like like I've never I've never done it. Um. But I I do wonder. You know, to me it feels vain. That's the main reason I don't do it. I mean, I'm I'm not judging it. Other people's other people's hustles or personas or whatever. But to me, it's like it feels vain. But I do wonder if actually it has a high val a high ROI that if you if you actually just um are constantly posting physique and assuming of course you have you have uh you know an above average physique like do you think that that actually if you're a man that actually gets you more follows more respect more deals more opportunities definitely 100% if you want to get more yeah. follows get jacked get jacked and start <laughs> posting bro <laughs> i'm not that's fascinating cuz it's I think it's obvious for women, right? It's obvious that hotter women get more followers, more, you know, replies, more everything. Basically, everyone wants to, you know, connect with hot women. Um, I, so no, if you're a hot woman. I, no, like there, there's, there's a whole sexual angle to that as well for men. So like hot men get more followers as well. Um, you know, women are very sexual. That makes sense. You know, like, no, definitely. And, and I mean, it's not just about like how you look and how you present yourself. It's also... Um, the, the other kind of signals that that you have the time and consciousness to actually work on something, um, you know, very diligently for a number of like months. It's not like you know when someone posts a very good physique, you can tell they put a time and energy into it. Um, you know, and like on that aspect, it's there's a, there's a whole like you know sort of dedication you know attached to it. So. Same with like sports and MMA, you know, it's like, I, I don't really follow like football. Um, I, I follow MMA probably the most, but like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, I, I, what I really care about in, in those kind of spheres is like, you know, the kind of mindset it takes to, you know, work diligently on, on something that's going to cause you pain in, in certain ways, um, you know, for a very long time. Yeah. Interesting. Cause sometimes when I see men posting physique, I'm kind of like, it, I just feel like it's kind of lame. Like I kind of, I kind of look down on the person who's posting physique a little bit, but now that I'm thinking, now that I'm thinking about it, if I'm being honest, maybe, maybe I'm just, I'm just jealous or resentful. <laughs> That's I, all I, I, I don't know. No, I, I, I think culturally there, there is like a sort of um, resentment it, it built into society. I'm not saying you're resentful, but you know, there, there is like this, this need for like to, you know, constantly push down people, I suppose, in certain respects. Um, and like when someone posts a physique, 
it's like you know I, I post physique on Instagram and you know all these other places. I, I pretty much dox myself on Instagram, but yeah. So on like it's like you do get comments and people be like. Um, you know, to compliment you, but it's also like guys will compliment you as well. It's like, hey, you know, what do you train? You know, what do you do? Um, and like, you know, people will give you like positive feedback. And it, it is something to take pride in, I think, because, you know, it re- what it represents, it's not just a, um, you know, a narcissistic, uh, vainglorious kind of thing. It, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very hard kind of, um, it's very hard work. It's, a, it's a, almost a trophy, you know? Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense that it's not actually about the, the physical attractiveness that you're signaling, you're actually signaling your work ethic and your discipline that that's that for a man, that's the real thing you're, you're wanting to flaunt and and publicize is your, your discipline and work ethic. That's an interesting take. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's, it is kind of counterintuitive though. And this is an interesting discussion because I've never really, I've really never heard anyone like guys kind of analyze this. So it's quite fascinating because tr- historically women distinguish themselves in their appearance and men distinguish themselves in their ideas. I, I, you know, and this I is disagree why, totally. Historically, this is well. Well, just to, to finish the point yeah. real quick. This is why. This is why we have tuxedos. If you think about the tuxedo as a fashion item that that evolved in history, in general, men have gravitated towards uh, fairly uh, uniform outfits. Uh, the tuxedo just being kind of the the apotheosis of the uniformization of of men's attire. The idea being that men if they all look the same to be a distinguished man you really distinguish yourself through your mannerisms through your grace through and through your ideas and through your speech really and through your accomplishments of course um but with women of course historically in western civilization uh most of the most you know uh, uh flowery uh fashion accoutrements have have been for for women historically so uh women have historically done more work to distinguish themselves visually in that way. Um, but maybe, you know, in the digital context, the the rules have, have changed or what's your take? Okay. So th- there's, there's two key points that you've raised, right? So you, you've raised a historical argument, right? And there's a whole load of context around that, that I've kind of addressed on Twitter. Um, I, I think your view of history is completely biased. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very anti-history in the sense that a lot of history is, is very selected, you know, like who you read is, is, is going to be biased. Like they're going to create a narrative. So like you're saying there's, there's a historical narrative regarding things and, you know, you're calling it a fact. And then obviously we can go into the memetics in terms of, you know, what's a fact and what's a, you know, what's a, what's a perception. So like, and the second point is, you know, like, if if you if you look at fashion and I'm I'm very interested in fashion because you know it's it's a very fast cut and cutting edge way of um, not only Darwinism like because like fashion is one of the most like creative fields in terms of you know like you have to innovate so quickly and so rapidly every you know season right so there's that aspect and then the other aspect is that um, historically fashion men have peacocked and peacocking is a very very ancient kind of um, you know phenomena and it's not only you know in humans it's it's a it's a darwinian thing so again like you know people posting physique on twitter it is a, a form of peacocking but again you know historically men have also shown off their physical appearance in, you know like the dandies in, in the victorian ages and then you know if, if you look out throughout throughout western civilization you know the specific examples that you've kind of mentioned you know there's like ancient greece where you know like you can look at all the statues and then if you look at Rome, and I'm, I really like talking about, you know, the Roman Empire, you know, because they had this whole kind of like 
um, aspect around vanitas and then like how visual um, things, you know, influence your daily thinking. So like they had Memento Mori as well. Um, but like, you know, they, they took huge, um, you know, they went to huge lengths in terms of like looking after their appearance. So like, I, I, I don't think, you know, that's an accurate um, assessment of, um, you know, that. And then, I mean, again, like, you know, going back to like Darwinism, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, humans have to kind of compete on, you know, sexual reproduction. Um, and, you know, you can't really ignore that aspect either. Yeah, no, those are interesting counterexamples. It's, it's, it's an interesting question for sure. I don't pretend to have the final word. Um, so it's a good, it's a good, it's a good line of inquiry. Uh, I would like to hear or, or see a more fully integrated theory theory of of uh, whether men should post physique or not. <laughs> like, do you, like, I wonder if there's maybe uh, just some groups of men among whom you would not excel to post physique. You know, I suspect there's still some maybe pockets in the older business world that uh, would see your physique on Instagram and think this is a vainglorious no so I, I, I don't want i don't want to work with this I, I, with this hmm. guy so that's that's an you don't think that's an interesting perspective so um there are some people that'll be like hey this, this guy's a jackass but if, if you look um if so elon musk he's probably on trt um jeff bezos he's probably on trt so like, these guys are working right. out right they're like they're physically bigger um you know they're, they're, mus they're more muscular and like if you, but they don't post physique. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, it's, it's kind of specific, yeah. specifically about posting physique. If you're at a beach, yeah, then cool. But if you're specifically taking a bathroom shot and you're a CEO of a multi-million-dollar company, I probably think <laughs> I probably double think that you know. Um, <laughs> okay, so there are exceptions. Yeah, to, to I mean, of course, but yeah. like if you're just a random Twitter poster and like you, you like you're a young guy. Um, you know, you don't make friends. I mean, not make friends, but like you know, if if it's just like a random normie, you know, why not? You know. Um, like just to show you gym progress or whatever, or like progress pics, for instance. Right. Okay. Fascinating. No, this is this is a fascinating discussion. I've never really heard any guys really break down this this question. And I, I I'll, <laughs> I'll give you this. I've I, I'm significantly updated my opinion, at least uh, relatively, in favor of posting physique. You're making me think maybe I, I might. Have, I, I, I might mean, have to start, the, the other thing is, it's like. It's, it's not really it's really not that big a deal i mean like either people post or you don't right, i yeah, mean yeah. You know. yeah yeah no it's true and there are there are definitely like pretty famous dudes who are very successful who more or less do post physique there are there are like subtle ways of doing it also it's it's not necessarily like here's a selfie of me in my underwear at the gym in front of the mirror in the bathroom that's kind of like the least discreet way but there's a continuum right because some guys will you know uh just get a get a selfie while they're like nominally doing something else. Like, I don't know, maybe yeah. walking their dog or something like that, but it just so happens. They're like, you know, not wearing a shirt and they're super cut and they, you know, um, so, so th th there's a continuum, I think of, of, yeah. of male yeah. physique posting. <laughs> okay. Fascinating. Very funny. So let's talk a little bit more about this kind of corporate culture that you have some interesting takes on you know you've been pretty successful in the business world both in the traditional business world but also navigating the, the you know new new forms of of fluid businesses uh built through t twitter primarily um i think there are a lot of bullshit jobs out there right if you actually look at power and you look at who has a lot of money a lot of that is smoke and mirrors a lot of those people are not necessarily doing that much and there's these whole offices there are whole departments everywhere in different domains in different in different 
you know, pockets of society where people are actually making a lot of money and they're not doing that much. They're more or less kind of engaged in different types of social politics and and optics, basically. What's your read on that? Do you have a theory of that or, or yeah. any, uh, you know, observations on what's going on there? Cool. So um, I, I, would, I would say the the perception of bullshit jobs are like, oh, yeah, it's pointless. You know, everyone should be a laborer in the fields, right? So, like, that's a common take um, I see quite often. And, you know, I, I think it's quite misinformed, mainly because they don't know the complexities of running a giant corporation. So, you know, in an ideal world, everyone will be 100% efficient, um, you know, and provide value. That That's, a, that's just not going to be a fact, mainly because humans... Uh, they, 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 their productivity, you know, goes up and down. So that, that's one aspect. The other aspect is, you know, in terms of information. Um, so if you're a CEO of a company, how do you make decisions? You know, so you, you rely on your team to provide you information. And a lot of times, um, you know, like all throughout the, you know, the funnel. So you have the people on the ground and then like all this, the information just gets funneled. So um, a, a lot of times what ends up happening is, the CEO does not know anything that's happening on the ground. So, you know, like that's why you see like, um, you know, Elon Musk, you know, being hailed as a hero in some regards, I suppose, um, you know, like going into the factories and working with his, you know, um, his engineers or whatever and, like, and, and actually trying to understand the problem. And, you know, the reason why he's doing that is because he's trying to get the most amount of inf um, accurate information as he can. Um, the other thing is, is like most people they don't know what to work on and what not to work on. So, um, you know, there's huge prioritization, um, you know, inefficiencies. Um, and, and this is why people call on experts or consultants to basically help them. Um, it's basically because they don't know what the fuck's going on. They tried to solve a problem. They couldn't. They failed. It's cost them a lot of money. And, you know, like time's ticking on, you know, the problem's getting bigger and bigger every day if you don't solve it. So, you know, sometimes you have to reorganize the entire structure. Um, you have to, you know, be able to provide accurate information to the board or whoever's making the decisions because, you know, there's so much gets lost um, in translation and gets so much gets lost in, um, you know, signal versus noise. Um, in regards to politics, um, th that that's more of a, you know, sort of, uh, I suppose, Darwinian nature of, you know, these very you know hierarchical type tribal groups so if you if you want to ascend to the position or not get fired you have to make alliances you have to do things that are essentially either going to get rid of someone else or you know like you know enforce your kind of vision so in the consulting world you, you know they, they try to talk about influence you know quote unquote influence where it's basically just making people do things that you want to do um or you know getting rid of like roadblocks or people and there's this whole thing about stakeholder management you know who who's going to be a pain in the ass versus who's going to have who's going to sponsor you and push you towards um and you know what's the implications of this so like you know because these like especially at the board level, they can have a lot of internal conflict. They might not like someone because they believe that their vision is more, you know, more accurate than someone else's and it can conflict and take the company in very di um, different directions. So they have to kind of manipulate information or they have to poke holes in other people. So like you have these, like if someone's poking hole in your project plan and you have to go back, you're spending more time fixing that or like getting more information because they want, hey, no, what about this? What about this? So there's a lot of internal conflict as well people don't see. Right. Okay. So basically you're, you're saying that what looks from the outside, like bullshit jobs and people doing nothing is actually just coordination problems, inefficiencies and genuine problems that are intractable that people are trying their best to solve, but because of organizational challenges, information asymmetries and yeah. so on, 
um, it's it's that it's just not perfect, and and that's why. Also, it's it's about who what is value. Um, you know, you could take the Marxist take of you know value is just basically labor. But if you have techn- technological innovations, um, and you have like you know creativity baked in, you know the best pro- the, probably the best determinant of value is probably priced, right? So you can have like you know people paying a thousand dollars for a course where somebody would only, someone else would only pay like ten dollars, right? So like you know it's it's a very very subjective kind of thing. Um, you know that basically you know has to has to make you question you know in, in, like the entire sum of human economics. <laughs> yeah okay fascinating that's that's a good take so i know that you're also working on a bunch of projects now I, you're more than welcome to you know tell the audience about what you're most interested in at the moment and, and what you got brewing i know you're kind of part of a few different businesses some of them are not public some of them are public uh you're very interested in crypto and nfts at the moment um for good reason it's it's very fascinating and fat, fast moving space um, so what what are you working on at the moment that you're most interested in that you'd like to share with the audience and uh, perhaps discuss? Yeah, so I like my ideal lifestyle is working in creative industries um, or like, you know, working in crypto relating tangentially related to those. So one and I'm just going to go rapid fire on the kind of things I'm working on. Um, so I've got a project management consultancy that's going well. We're just doing business auditing and business transformation kind of stuff. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's there, um, doesn't really take too much of my time. And then I've got the crypto stuff where I'm consulting on best practices, um, or helping growth and marketing for crypto companies, or, you know, doing a lot of business development, you know, making connections, you know, making use of that roller decks that I've built up or, you know, over a year and I've, you know, got a systematic way of making connections, reaching out to people and bringing in business in terms of business partnerships, which can add a lot of, you know, footfall and revenue and all these other things. Um, so, so th- those are two main kind of businesses in terms of like, I'm, I'm currently working on two main startups um, that I have equity on equity in. So one is a DeFi protocol. Um, and you know, we're currently in friends and family round and that's a DeFi protocol. We build MVP and what that will be doing is essentially allowing you to finance business assets. Um, not, to, not a traditional business assets There's a new class of income earning business assets. Um, so we're, we're working on that. Um, we are looking for funding for that and taking it to the next stage. Um, but I was saying to my CTO earlier today that, you know, if we, if you don't have this out within six months, someone else will do it because crypto moves incredibly quick. Um, so, so that's one thing. And then another project I'm working on, um, you know, I'm also raising money for, uh, but I'm, I've got more of a, you know, a lesser role in that, I suppose. Um, and that's a fashion um, NFT marketplace. So working within fashion, uh, you know, creating a ecosystem and it's sort of like, it's called Tribs. And what that essentially aims to do is, you know, facilitate more culture oriented, um, you know, hub of activity around fashion and high fashion specifically. So those are two major kind of crypto projects or startups I'm working on. And you know, as I said earlier, I'm consulting with a bunch of other companies in terms of growth marketing services or business development services. And then um, I've got like a bunch of NFT projects and these are just probably hobbies and experiments. So I've got a DAO and the DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization. And, and the way you kind of get entry to that is you buy a NFT of a great cult planet. Um, and that basically, you know, allows you to enter the DAO. And then what I'm trying to hope to do with that DAO is 
it's not it's not a DAO in a conventional sense where it's completely decentralized and completely flat. Like I want most of the control of that. And there's huge amounts of governance issues to be worked out in crypto and in general in life, you know, it's constantly evolving. So with the DAO Yeah, that's fascinating. Was was the concept of for planets, was that inspired by Urbit at all? Because they use that terminology um, of planets um, and Yeah, um, I know. Um I'm, I was just curious. I'm I'm very familiar with planets. Uh, I mean Urbit um for a number of years. I remember when they first like, you know, went live. So um, I'm very familiar with them. I, I I don't think it was specifically influenced by them because why why I had I had a lot of artwork for my Twitter avi, um, my Twitter avatar of like just like planets and you know in a globe, uh, and I just kind of played in that motif and I just kind of um fished up that kind of artwork. But I mean the way it's evolving again, you know, with the whole cult thing, um, it's it's just naturally evolving. I'm just taking ideas. And I'm like, all right, maybe I can work with this and I can create like a solar system or a, or a, or a verse or metaverse or whatever. Um, and then, and and then with the DAO, essentially, what I'm trying to do is if so, my subsequent NFT projects. So I've, I've got one project I'm working on called Heavenly Words, where it's using AI. So you use words to generate images, and then the images are, are the NFT, for instance. And then there's loads of things we could do with that. Um, and then what I'm going to do is like a percentage of the proceeds from that NFT collection is going to go back to everyone that holds a DAO, um, a Greek called Planet. So in, in a sense, you know, you're earning income from my future NFT projects because you, you've invested into hmm. the ecosystem. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. So maybe before I let you go, the final question then would just be, I'm curious to know where you see this whole crypto space going, especially around the NFTs, especially around the community building. I think you and I both have had some thoughts and theories on cities, perhaps even countries. And it does seem to be the case that this crypto community stuff does have pretty clear built-in political trajectories. It does look like sovereignty or some kind of emergent community sovereignty does seem to be uh, a possibility that's kind of baked into the dynamics of, of these cryptographically sealed and incentivized uh, community structures does this become a city does it become a country how do you see that how do you think about that are you interested in that and how would you be interested in steering you know the grit cult into you know the the crypto country of the future okay yeah so the the, the answer is going to be multi-layered in the sense that what, what crypto does as a technology um so one, one of the kind of things it does is it reinvents what um identity is so you know your wallet is an identity in the sense that you know you can have the same username across multiple different applications so it has this huge kind of integration into the internet and what that allows you to do you know it, like you're more like the internet is going to be the, your main interface into humanity really so like you know instead of going to your local town or your church you know you're going to be interacting on the internet and what you can do in the internet is not limited by borders um so and, and then you know in terms of identity so there's an interesting analogy that people give is that you know because you're holding bitcoin uh, versus you know you used to you used to be holding dollars you're more inclined to be economically aligned with uh you know bitcoin versus the united states so there's less incentive for you to be a U.S. citizen um, than it was like you know a hundred years ago. So again, you know, identity in that aspect is being changed. And then what you can have, you know, due to the internet, um, and it's really you know, crypto is you know another layer of the internet in the sense that you know because of the blockchain, because you're connected to the blockchain, you know, you you have access to the largest database, uh, you know, ever. So 
really is you know it's, it's the full extent of the internet so you have you know payments and money as a you know as a you know actual protocol layer within the internet so it's actually you know infrastructure in the sense that running water is infrastructure so you know going back to historical examples um you know whether or not we agree if history is real or not but what we can kind of deduce is that you know these kind of technological innovations of human organization are are, are essentially going to change the the face of the earth so when you know steam engine was you know invented what ended up happening is you had this huge technical logical innovation and then what you also had is a financial revolution in the dutch indies company where you know you had shared ownership so you know fractionalization through a, a limited company or whatever um you know changed the face of you know commerce so and and we're still you know seeing the effects of that you know through colonization and all these other you know um meta level effects that are, you know I, you know, the tales of history are very, very long, and we're still very, very affected by you know what happened 500 years ago. So there's that aspect, and then what's going to happen with crypto? Because you know you can integrate you know at a very high level uh, and a very you know detailed level. You know, fractionalization of identity is also going to happen. So you know, I so you know the Justin Murphy podcast could become a DAO in a sense where it becomes a fractionalized um, you know, security. Um, you know, to use the legal term, or but it can be tokenized. So you know, you could tokenize your your podcast, and what could then happen is um, you know people invest in it, and then they get you know a return on their investment. Totally. Now, shout out to the. I already have an ERC twenty token, which I'm just experimenting with. Shout out to the to the life holders <laughs> out there. Uh, money si- money sign L I F E. Uh, I think we have like something like a hundred more, a few more than a hundred holders of life out there. But I'm just experimenting with it, and the problem at the moment is regulatory uncertainty. So I'm not really doing that much with it because I'm afraid to. I'm afraid it's going to get called an unregistered security. So I'm just at the moment just kind of giving it away to people and. Uh, thinking about how to use it uh because the regulatory environment is is not a very uh it's not it's not a very comfortable environment to really invest hardcore in building out that infrastructure yet is my view yeah so i mean like you know the effects of crypto are pretty understated um you know a lot of people say it's going to change the world but how is it going to change the world it's it's basically going to reinvent all the institutions in the world um you know it's 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 going to make the world probably um, it's going to increase the um, living standards of the world, mainly because um, money and capital can be reallocated a lot more efficiently, a lot more effectively, and you know a lot quicker. Uh, you know, like I, I pay one of my team members in crypto. If I pay them via PayPal, it probably cost me like twenty dollars more. You know, where I can just pay them instantly in crypto, and it'll be very quick and very cheap. So there, you know, there all these different aspects. But what you're also seeing is like I'm 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 currently based in the UK, but like I don't see myself. You know, living in the UK in the next ten years, I want to relocate, and because I have this, you know, detachment from my income and you know geographical location, I, I can basically relocate to the most tax efficient or the most appealing place to live. So, and we're kind of seeing that with um, Americans as well. You know, a lot of Americans are expats, and you know they're moving across the world. So you're gonna have like you know, you know you're going to have a competition in governance as well. So like more and more states. So like people are moving to El Salvador basically because they, you know, recognize Bitcoin as a legal tender, which is going to foster more people moving there. So, you know, and that's just going to increase over time. Um, so there's all these different aspects that come into play. And and regarding like, you know, where I kind of see it going in terms of grid cult, you know, um, 
what what I really want to do is, you know, just cre- kind of create a network and just, you know, be able to like, you know, work on very interesting projects. That's what really motivates me. You know, it's the ability to work on interesting projects projects and meet interesting people um I'm, I'm 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 trying to work on a documentary around crypto as well um that's very nascent talking to a few um a few companies um but yeah i mean there's, there's loads of like implications but it's going to affect how humans organize themselves on, on a very large 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 scale um you know that's that's never been seen before in history totally agreed on that i'm pumped for it um so dude th- this was awesome man thank you so much for jumping on here with me it was a pleasure getting to know you better and you know getting to kind of look under the hood of your operations and how you've built your businesses and how you think about various things so this was fun man thanks for, for thanks for you know sharing your time with us no worries yeah i find it really enjoyable and it's been a pleasure and i've been a fan for you know a number of years seeing your journey as well so very very exciting time for me being here Oh, right on, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I'll put links to all your projects that you mentioned in the show notes. So if people want to learn more about what you're doing, they can just go to the links in the show notes and uh, people can reach out to you if they want to. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end. So you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple podcast. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show. And I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening. And thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.